0: On a simple level, the requirement to harbor this perpetual hatred against Amalek is for the sake of ultimately fulfilling the task of erasing them. Because since they're the, the um, eternal enemy and nemesis of the Jewish people, as the Sefer HaChinuch explains, they're the ones that initiated anti-Semitism, they're the ones that brought anti-Semitism into the world, and they harbor it forever, and they're the head of the pack of those that attack the Jews, therefore we have to destroy them, and in order to constantly remind ourselves to harbor this hatred and animosity up until the time comes when we can finally fulfill the task. Okay, that's on the simple level what the mitzvah is. And that's what the Sefer HaChinuch says. On the other hand, however on another level, We have to understand this war with Amalek and how it relates to us in our times. After all, we can't fight Amalek now to merely just harbor the grudge, as good on the simple level, but from the Medrash it sounds, the Medrash explains that every time we read the Parsha and we deal with it, we're actually fulfilling the mitzvah to a degree of, of destroying Amalek of wiping out or erasing Amalek. Well, how is that done? According to the Medrash, Hashem says, Atem maskir in You mention it down here, and I'll take care of it, so to speak, up there. And the war with Amalek is not just a battle between us and Amalek, it's literally a battle of God and Amalek, on page 202, and we're going to read it on Purim itself, the last Pasik, Vayoymer ki yod al <laughs> Hashem's hand is, uh, so to speak, on his throne in an oath and swearing that there's an everlasting eternal battle between God and Amalek from generation to generation. What is this eternal battle of God and Amalek, generation after generation? It's a war literally with God and Amalek. So, likewise, The mitzvah in Parshat Kiseitze, in Parshat Zochit, we're going to be reading this Shabbos, page 562. Hashem says that, Timcha Ezeichra Amolek Mitachats HaShinoim. This is our commandment to blot out Amolek zochar and to remember this as well. loy tishkach, not to forget. So we have a mitzvah to fight this battle. It's God's battle. It's our battle. Now, Amalek, of course, was not the most powerful empire of its time. In fact, they were a relatively minor empire. True, they harbored great animosity and hatred and great anti-Semitism for the Jews, but they were not exactly the most powerful empire. Yet, in the battle against Amalek in Parsh's Bishalach, we didn't totally defeat them and obliterate them, like, uh, for example, we did the Egyptians where God did it for us. Here we had to fight, we weakened them but it wasn't a total um, obliteration of Amalek. Apparently, we weren't able to fully accomplish it. And therefore, it's an everlasting, perpetual battle, Midor-Ador, generation after generation. Amalek, in spite of the fact that they're not considered to be the um, most powerful nation, yet, in Parshas Bilam, he refers to to Amalek as the Reishis Goyim, chief of all the nations, head of all the nations, Reishis Goyim. Where else do we have the word racious used? Well, we have it in Veracious, of course. Veracious, and we know what the Medrash says, b'shvil yisrael shenikra that the Jewish people are called racious as well. So we have both Amalek and the Jewish people as being called racious. Racious goyim amolek and veracious, and b'shvil yisrael shenikra raishis. So here we have a battle with Amolek Midor Ador. What exactly is that battle? How do we erase Amalek? How do we blot out Amalek? What is this battle? And we also see that Cloud Yisrael is considered an eternal nemesis of Amolek. Reish is going Amolek. One corresponds to the other. Evil and good. We have the battle of Amolek and the Jewish people. What is this battle? So, I'd like to just start off with the following idea. And again, as I'm saying, this is going to be an old idea with a new twist. They say in the name of the Vilna Garden. They say in the name of the Vilna Garden. It's well known for many of the Rishonim, the Go'in and Ravsad Yagain and others that the entire Torah, Tariyag, Mitzvah, o 613 commands are somehow alluded to and can be found in its roots in the Aser Dibros. The 10 Dibros of Hashem really are a blueprint, uh, profile of all the Tariyag Mitzvahs. Vilna Nagain says that Really, all of the Ten Commandments, all of the Asers are and not Ten Commandments, Ten Dibros, can all be found and rooted in the last of the Dibros. And therefore, all of the Dibros can be found in the last of the Dibros, which is Lo Sachmod, do not covet, do not desire, do not covet. And, furthermore, he says, that the challenge of each generation as we go through history Corresponds in time and era to one of the one of the Aseret Hadibros, the last of the challenges, the last of the Nisyonos, the last thing that we have to face challenge before Mashiach comes is the Nisyan of Losachmod. Losachmod is the last of the Nisyonos, the last of the challenges before Mashiach comes. That's usually So if we view Losachmod as the final challenge of Golos, that's our era. The era before Mashiach, final challenge is the challenge of Losachmod, which we're going to get to later on. The original sin in the Garden of Eden came about from Chemdo, from Losachmod. Let's take a look at the Gemara in Mesech Saita Davtes. It's the second piece on the page in front of you. Tonu Rabbonon, Saita nosna The Saita placed her eyes on someone which is not fit for her. And I'm going to go through the Gemara quickly. That which she sought, she didn't get. And that which she had was removed from her as well, was taken away. Whoever covets and places his eyes to desire that which isn't his, that which he seeks, he won't achieve, and that which he already has will be taken away from him. And we find this with the original desire. And again, a lot of this is metaphor. We could talk about what the metaphor is. With the nochash the original serpent, the snake in the Garden of Eden, he desired, he coveted, that which was not for him, what he sought he didn't get, and what he had was removed from him. HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, I planned on making you the king of all the beasts, and now you're going to be cursed from all the beasts. I said that you're going to be able to walk upright, because the serpent had legs, and now, you're going to crawl on your belly. I said that you're going to be able to eat human type of food, but now, you're going to eat the dust. The serpent coveted Chava. who The serpent said, let me cause the death of Adam, and I will wed Chava. And instead, now there is going to be enmity and hatred between you and the woman, her seed and your seed. And then the Gemara concludes and says, we find this midah of coveting by a number of other people, Cain, Kairach, Bilam, and then it mentions Hamon as well. she'en <laughs> they sought that which they couldn't have, ma'ashabikshu lo'enitin lohem, that which they sought, they didn't get. And that which they had, they lost. It was their downfall. The Medrash, on this, similar to this Gemara and Saita Daftes, but the Medrash phrases it slightly differently in the words of the Medrash, anyone that has chemdo, for that which is unfit for them, for that which is unfit for them, you won't get it, and you'll lose what you have. She <laughs> came as we find in this primor- primeval serpent, the original serpent, benochashakadmoini. Nosan ein of he sought out Chava vechim and he desired her. He coveted her. So the first one guilty of the sin of losachmod was the serpent herself. Was well, the serpent himself? He was guilty of losachmod, but what's interesting is that what he sought to put into the heart of the woman was this mida, this mida of losachmod. If you look on the very top of your page, you'll see the pasuk that says that after the serpent slyly tries to convince her to eat from the tree, what does it say? That the tree. Is good for food. The chisava hul le The From the word, the word vnechmad is the same root as lo sachmod. It's desirable. It's very precious for the sake of getting knowledge. And she takes from the fruit and she eats it. So he placed this, this mida of chemda, of lo sachmod, in her heart, and she desired it. She coveted it. So the very first sin, the very first sin, not only was promoted by the serpent because of his chemda for Chava, but he placed this chemda into her. And as we know, the Nochash became the Yetzirah, and with that original sin, it entered into their very body. That Nochash disappeared. We have snakes around nowadays, but that's not the Nochash the Nochash represents an external embodiment of the evil inclination of the Satan. The Nochash represents the original Satan. It represents the original Yetzir Hara evil inclination, which at one time was external to the human being. Again, I don't want to go back into the story of Beratius. These are concepts for, for what we learned in Bereshia. He was Amalek. As we shall see. He was Amalek. Reish's Goyim Amolek goes back to the Garden of Eden. It goes back to Bereshis, as we said it before. And therefore, just as Haman and Amolek is the external embodiment of evil, the Nochash too was this external embodiment of evil and seduction, which after the sin became internalized in all human beings, we have a little bit of that Nohosh inside of us. We have a little bit of that evil inside of us. It's called the Yitzhahar. It's the seducer, the tempter, it's also the prosecutor after you sin, the Satan. It's also the Malochamovus that was death that came about because of the sin, and that's the executioner. Chazal say, Who are Who are Satan? Who are The Yitzhahar morphs into the Satan, which morphs into the Malach The tempter and the seducer that causes sin becomes the prosecutor that prosecutes <laughs> you against, because of your sin. Ultimately, he's the executioner that, that takes retribution as well. And that's the embodiment of all evil. With that original sin, death came into the world. That's the Nochash <laughs> And therefore, when we say, Resh is it literally goes back to the Garden of Eden, to Bereshus itself, to the original sin, the original temptation, and the original seduction, and the one that brought death and evil into the world, Nochash HaKadmoni, which is, of course, Amalek, which, of course, becomes Homan, as we shall shortly see. So, what we see over here is that the Nochash places his eyes and has Khonda against Chava, he then is, as Chazal used the expression, he, zuama. he places this poison into Chava, and Chava has this Chemda for the eight Hadass, which brings death into the world, and that is the Midah that the Nochash had, and he places into us as well. That's the Mida of Amolek, as we shall see, and the Mida of Homon, as we shall see. What is the meaning Could you repeat that? that Chemda. Chemda. Losachmod. So therefore, the battle of Amalek, the war against Amalek, is really as we said earlier from the Vilna Gain, the final challenge. The last challenge is the last of the midos, the last of the Dibos of the Torah, which is Losachmod. Interestingly enough, by the way, I just want to point out that what was the second sin of mankind? The second sin of mankind stemmed from the mida. From which mida did it come from? From kina, kina, jealousy, jealousy, and chemda are very related, yet a little bit different. It so says the. How could we beat the eighth of if it's inherent in us? In other words, you're saying that it's a battle. Snake That's why it's a perpetual battle. He's thinking Eve something that's in our DNA now. Yeah, that's where I'm going. I start off by saying that on the simple level, the battle of Amalek is he's the nemesis of the Jewish people. But it turns out that it's a perpetual battle that we have to wage even nowadays. It's not just about fighting an external enemy. It's what Amalek became, that it became part of humankind itself in this Mida of losach mode. Now, just as an aside... What's the difference between Kinnah and Chemda? Kinna and Chemda. Kinnah? Kinnah is jealousy. Well, the difference is as follows. Chemda is a form of greed and desire. I want it all. I gotta have it all. Kina is a jealousy. Even though those sounds like jealousy, don't cover that which someone else has. But Let me give you a very, um, a very um, good visual on this brought down in the Rishonim as a muscle. There were these two people. One was you know, a big hamdan, a coveter. He wanted it all. Greed. Whatever anybody else had. The other one had terrible need of kinah, of jealousy, envy. So once this, and I'm going to update a little bit to use slightly different terms, a genie comes to them, to the two of them, you know, they, pre- they rub a bottle, let's say, I'm giving you the muscle a little updated, and the genie comes out of this bottle and sees the two of them and says, listen, you know, I'm going to give you your wish, whatever your heart desires, and just ask me, and I'll give it to you. But whatever I'm going to give you, I'm going to give twice as much to your colleague, to your fellow. So, whatever you want, I'm just going to give twice to the other guy. So the guy with um, kinna says, you go first. I want to be second. You go first. The guy with Chemda says, you go first. I want to be second. So they're getting into this fight as to who should go first. You go first. I go first. You go first. I want to be second. you got want to be second. Finally, in exasperation and frustration, the guy with the need of Kinnah says, poke out my eye. <laughs> so that's jealousy. Chemda is the guy that wants it all. I gotta have it all. Kina is, I can't stand that you have it. Cain had kina to Hevel. Rather than bettering himself, he couldn't stand that Hevel was more worthy. But the truth is, Hevel himself had kina. In fact, we once learned the Kliyokar on that, that quotes the pasuk in Kehelas, Roisiani, as amal, Hamaisa, Ki hi kinas Ish mereu, Hevel. Now, as all of life operates on the need of kina and chemda, all progress comes that way, and Hevel progressed and became better because. Cain was the initiator of the idea to bring a sacrifice, and Hevel said, great idea, I'm going to do him one better. So Cain was, Hevel was also motivated by Kinnah, but he used it in a good way. Cain, on the other hand, was stuck in his rut, and he couldn't bring himself to try to outdo Hevel, instead he couldn't stand that Hevel did what he did, and therefore he killed him. So the second sin of mankind Schwartz got his name on the on the on the on the building. I want my name on the campus. Okay, but the second, uh, but that's a good thing. Right, that's a good thing. The second sin of mankind resulted from the midah of kinnah. The first sin of mankind resulted from the midah of losachmod, to covet to have it all, and it couldn't be kinnah because there was no one else around. Right, she She wanted the tree. There was no one that you were jealous of. So that's chemda. You're the only person around, but you still have to have it all. So, the first Mida, when there was no one around, Chemda. The second Mida, it morphs into this Kina, two people. Again, that goes back to the origins of mankind. But as the Vilna Gaon says, the final Nisayan is the one of Lysachmaid. Okay. Therefore, if we talk about obliterating Amolek, we're actually talking about obliterating... This is the final, the, is the final... What? Losachma, the final challenge, the final battle. So if we talk about obliterating Amalek, it's gonna be about trying to erase from within us and to battle and to fight against this Mida of Chemda, of Loisachmoit. The Gemara in Chulin Dav Metes, on seeks sources for some of the major figures in Jewish history. And it says, where do we have Esther alluded to in the Torah? And the Gemara says, from the Pasik Anochi, Haster, Aster, ponai." We've had occasion to discuss that. But the Gemara says, Torah Ayin." Where do we have an allusion to Haman in the Torah? So the Gemara cleverly comes up with the following. On page 11, you have, um, four lines from the bottom. Pasik Aleph. The word Hamin Ho'ets, notice, is of course Hamon. Hamon Ho'ets. And actually, as Rashi points out, Hamon got hung up on a tree. So therefore, you have the word Hamon. You have the word spelled out right over there in front of you. Hamin or Hamon. Ho'ets, the tree. Hamin Ho'etz, that's Hamon the tree. Haman who's hung up on a tree. We're going to explain this. Hamin Ho'etz. Four lines from the bottom on page 11. Hamin Ho'etz. Now, if you look at the Marsha on that Gemara, on Chulam Davkoflamites, which is on the first side, the last piece, the Maharsha explains va'al der haz omar homon mina torminain shezeo shem hamiyuchad la'al the name of hamon va'omar hamin ho'ets bemaisa hanrosh in the story of the serpent why the serpent lefi shehayu hu gezat sifini me'esovamolek because the serpent is the original representation of this evil that I guess transmigrates into Esau and Amolek and Homon is the seed is a branch of that original sin. Homon comes from Esau Homon comes from Amolek and that finds its original root in this Nochosh HaKadmoyni. Asher Koychom Their powers are the power of the Nocha And the Medrash says Hamon and the nochosh, ba'af. They began with the words af, we'll see what that means. B'ma As the Gemara and says that we saw earlier and we mentioned from the Medrash. So we will now see similarities between the serpent and Haman himself. They both used the word af, and they both looked and coveted things which was not for them. And that was the seed and cause of their downfall. And that's what we're going to look at right now. What this marsha means. We're going to examine now very closely what the marsha means. The way to examine this though, is I have on top of the page, the first piece comes from Rav Aaron Kotler. Now this piece, although I found it printed in the name of Rav Aaron Kotler, really goes back to many Bali Musser use this approach. And this is the old idea that I alluded to earlier that I'm giving a new spin on. It's from the Bali Muser. And I just wanted to find a place where, where you could read it inside. And I found this in the name of Ronald Cutler. But it's really not only Ron Cutler, a lot of the Bali Muser say it. Okay, let's take a look at Homan's downfall. We'll go to Homan's downfall. Mm-hmm. Back to Megillus Esther, what I said in the very beginning, page um, 657. You're page be on, 657. You're be in Peric, uh, Peric, yeah. Right, at, it's towards the end of Peric. Hey. Okay. Remember, Homon was made the great, the great uh, officer, uh, minister of the king, He was the prime minister. The king in this case, we're talking about is Achashverosh, who was the emperor of Persia, Media, ruler of 127 provinces. He was the greatest ruler of his time, the greatest empire of his era. And Haman was number two. He was the number two person in the greatest empire on earth at the time. The superpower. And Haman was on top of the world. And he had everything And he was invited to a feast with Esther, and he was deliriously happy. And let's take a look at some of the key phrases after the first banquet with Esther. If you look at the first column on page 657, on the bottom of the first column, two lines from the bottom. I'm going to read through a few psukim right now, and hold your comments. And Hamon left the banquet with Esther with glad heart and full of joy. Why? Because he's on top of the world and he just came from a feast with Esther. However, But when he saw Mordechai standing in the gates of the king and Mordechai refused to move about him. On Mordecai Chema, Haman was filled with wrath. Haman then comes to his home, to his wife, and it says, he goes to his home, <speaking in Hebrew> and he sends out <speaking in Hebrew> and he calls together all of his friends and his wife. And he starts to brag. And Haman begins to recount to them about the wealth and fortune that he has. How wealthy he was. And the multitude of his children. And how they all had positions of power. So Haman begins to brag and says, Look at my power. Look at my wealth. Look at my glory. I'm on top of the world. And my children are all in positions of power. I'm up there. Furthermore, listen to this. These are the words of Muhammad. And how the king elevated him. He's on top of everything. And how he was raised and made prime minister over all the king's officers, princes, and servants. I'm number one to the king. And as the cherry on top of it all. And not only that, notice the word af. even, even, I am the only one that was invited by Esther to this banquet, to this feast. Af. Uses the word af. Esther only brings me to the feast. That's, so to speak, the cherry on top of the on top of the uh, whatever I'm on the top and tomorrow I'm invited again and now the next pasach is breathtaking in the sweeping um, and how it defines Haman's character remember what we just said Haman calls all of his friends and acquaintances he left the feast, the banquet he's happy, he's delirious with joy, with pleasure gladness of heart he's rejoicing he calls all of his friends and associates and his wife and his family together. And he begins to brag. Fame, fortune, glory, position, power, wealth, children, everything. It's me. I got it all. And Esther invites me. Only me. And then comes the next Pesach. It almost takes your breath away. Look at the words that Homan says. V'chol a e'inenu and this is all worth nothing to me. Everything I just said. It's nothing to me. Mordechai, Yehudi as long as I see Mordechai and he doesn't bow down to me. Nothing, everything means nothing. I have it all. I have nothing. to say, I have nothing. shovali. I got nothing. So his advisor Haman Zeresh tells him, "If that's the way you feel, make a tree, fifty this high. Tell the king tomorrow that you want to hang Mordechai." And Haman says, "Great idea." And he makes the tree. That day, he built a tree. He comes to the king early in the morning, but the king wasn't able to sleep the night before, and he <coughs> reads about what Mordechai did to him. And Haman comes in bragging again, saying thinking it's all about himself, it's me, 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 and more me. And that leads to the downfall of Haman. So Haman's downfall was this desire to get that last Jew, that last bit of what he desires, he wants to soak it and squeeze it out dry, and that becomes his downfall. And he gets hung on the tree that he makes and builds that night because he has to get it all. So Haman has it all. He's lacking, missing one thing. One thing he's missing. And he has to have it. And he's anxious. And he's running. He needs it. He needs it. And he goes to the king early in the morning. And he builds a tree that night. Just to get that last bit. And that's his downfall. He's hung on that tree itself. That's the downfall of Haman. Let's read. God creates the Garden of Eden. Right? We're all anxious about the Garden of Eden. God places man into the Garden Eden. The Garden of Eden. And God commands Adam with the following. Notice the first command of God is phrased in the positive before the negative. And what does God tell him? Eat. Enjoy all the fruits of the Garden of Eden. You must imagine that the Garden of Eden <coughs> must have had thousands of trees. Whether it's a metaphor or not is irrelevant. Right? But let's follow the story. The Garden of Eden had thousands of trees. And God says, Enjoy it. It's there for you to enjoy the bounty of the Garden of Eden. Mikoyl Eitzagon From all of the trees of the Garden. Ochel toichel you shall surely partake, you shall surely eat. But, what one tree, don't eat from that tree. That's bad for you. Okay. Let's now fast forward. Fast forward to page 10. Bottom of page 10. Bottom of page 10. Now we come to the serpent. This clever, sly serpent. He goes to the woman. And what's his opening word to her? What's the opening word of the nochash to the woman? Two lines from the bottom. No. Remember that word, af? Af. Even. Even. He starts off with the complete opposite. The negative. Well, didn't God... Also, tell you you can't eat from any of the trees? That's what he tells him. You can't eat of any of the trees. That's what he starts off. You're not allowed to eat from any of the trees of the garden. So the woman corrects him. No. We're allowed to eat from all the trees. There's one tree we can't eat. That one tree in the middle, that's the one that God withheld from us. Notice the sly nature of the serpent. He sets her up. You got nothing. That's what he starts with. And she says, no, we have everything but that one. He says, no, you have nothing. Because that's the most important tree of all. And if you don't have that, you got nothing. Say, says, now we get to Pasuk Vav, which we started with originally. The woman now looks at the trees with different eyes. It's desirable. Now comes the Losachmod in her. Note, what we said earlier, the woman starts off, the snake starts off with Losachmod. He then injects into her Losachmod to desire that one tree. Well, sure enough, we know the aftermath of that. He eats, she eats, he eats from the tree. Now we get to Pasek aleph, The name of Haman. Now you wanted the translation earlier. I said, be patient. Posecute aleph, Vayomer. Hashem says to Adam, Who told you that you're naked? Who told you that you're naked? And maybe even that's a metaphor. Why do you feel naked? Why do you feel... Unclothed. Did you eat from that one tree that I told you you can't have? You even had to eat from that tree as well? So what's Hashem telling Adam? I gave it all to you. I withheld one single solitary tree out of the thousands that are there. And even that one tree you had to have, you felt naked without it. You have nothing. Isn't that exactly this Mida of Haman? Exactly. Identical. What we see in the Megillah is identical to what we see in the Pusik with this story of the original sin. Haman has it all, but he says, I have nothing unless I have that one thing that I want. Haman was on top of the world. Fame, fortune, glory, position, power, wealth, children, everything. And what does he say? I have nothing because I don't have that 1% or that 0. .0001%. Everybody bows down to me except for that one Jew. And if I don't have that one Jew, I got nothing. That's what Homan says. And that is his downfall. And what happens over here? The serpent starts off the woman, you're in Ghaned and you have everything. No, you got nothing. That one tree you don't have? Thousands you have? But if you don't have that one tree, you got nothing. And Hashem says, even that one tree, that's their downfall. Hamin ho'etz. That's their downfall. Where do we see Haman alluded to in the Torah? We see it in this Hamin ho'etz. Let's take a look very quickly in the phraseology that Revan Kotler uses over here, and then we're going to proceed from here as well. Because we have another side to all of this to do as well. And I want to really try and get it all done if we can. We may have to go a little bit over time here. Tmiyya Gdaiba Bedovar Shari Homon Hoya Bitahtis hamadrega Eved Balon Ashaol Madregas Roishasaram. Homon, his origins were down in the dumps, and all of a sudden he's elevated to the highest position. Shekulom Karum Shtachlai. Everybody's bowing down to him. The Khalzab Machus Achashvarash and Maslaq this was in the largest empire that ruled over the world. How could Haman have even said? It's breathtaking that he said, a Shavali, all of this is worth nothing to me." How could he have said that? It's everything. It's everything that anybody could dream of, and he said it's all nothing. a person. Who is engrossed in pursuit of his physical and material needs, always finds himself lacking and missing. There's always something missing.. <speaking in Hebrew> no one dies fulfilling everything he wants. He's only halfway there in his desires. He can't go through life making more than 50 percent of what you really want. The <speaking in Hebrew> and as much goodness and glory and honor and wealth that you have, loyim aluheim eshesrana, you never really fill up your lack. Valkein hisyachis o am homon luchol hakover do Therefore, homon refers to what he's missing is I got nothing. It's not worth anything to me. Now we can understand the Gemara. Homon min atarim the Gemara in Chulin shenemar hamino eitz. What's the connection between Hamino Eids and Hamon? It's this Midah. Where do we find Tchunas Hamon Where can we find a source, a root for this terrible Midah of Hamon? That all the goodness in the world, whatever he has, all the great goodness that he has, is without value to him. Ain't any shovelly Luma's Khisaran poet, because he's missing one tiny fraction. Where do we find a person that rather than looks at the glass as half full, looks at it as half empty, but even much more? Even when the glass is 99% full and 1% empty, all he sees is the 1% empty. He doesn't see any more than that. Where do we see that? Where do we see people capable of having 99.9% but feeling the lack of that 0.1%, and saying, it's nothing. Everything that I have, he doesn't look at. He doesn't care about. He only cares about what he's lacking. That's all his focus is. That's all he cares about, what he's lacking. Even if it's a fraction. There, the Gemara answers, hamin ha'etz. as homon mo'zinu the We find it in this original sin. We know that Odom Arishan sat in the greatest place in Gan in the greatest glory of the world. The angels served him. He had it all. He had everything. Nevertheless, he couldn't withstand the challenge, the nesoyim of the one thing that was withheld from him, from the Eitz HaDas that he couldn't eat. He still had to have even that. And everything else was Einen was the equivalent of Hamans, it's worth nothing. Hashem says Hamid Aits. Where do we see this Mida of Lo Sachmod? Now, the reason why I mentioned the Goyin in the beginning was for this reason that if we examine this story, we see that this was the original challenge, and according to the Vilna Goyin, is the final challenge of our era of low Sachmod. Now, I'd like to just veer a little bit into understanding this before we go into the positive. Well, Our generation... We sure didn't do too well in the original. <laughs> right. Our generation is really a generation of Lossachmod to its fullest level. In fact, and I have to point out the good that comes from this. Everything that you have, everything that we have that's free, all comes from Sachmoud, The free things that we have. Why is that? Because the world is run today in a generation, our generation, in a way that we never ever had it before, that our ancestors couldn't have even dreamed of it. They wouldn't have thought of these things. They couldn't have possibly imagined that we would be so foolish. I'll give you an example. Studies have shown. If you're driving down the highway and you see a sign that says, buy your hamburger here. And then you go a little further and you see the sign that says, the best and most delicious hamburgers are here. Where are you going to stop? Where are you going to stop? You're going to stop at the sign that says, the best hamburgers are here. But that's stupid. That's foolish. You know that it's just a sign, it's totally meaningless, but that's human nature. You're drawn by the advertising that this one is better than the other one, even though you know it's meaningless. All the advertising agencies know that if they get Michael Jackson or Michael Jordan To say, drink Pepsi, because it's better than Coke. Isn't that the most ridiculous thing you ever heard of? You want to be like him. Well, forget about you want to be like him. Just think about it. You You want to taste Coke or Pepsi. Which one tastes better? I don't know. There's Coke and there's Pepsi. Whichever one you enjoy, that's the one that tastes better. And why are you drinking it? You're drinking it only for taste. You're drinking it for taste. But Michael Jordan or Michael Jackson, was being paid a million dollars to say that this one tastes better, you know he's lying to you, you know he's bribed, and even if he believes it genuinely, who cares what he thinks tastes better? And even if he's a taste maven, which he's not, because he's a maven of music or a maven of basketball, who cares? Even if he was a taste maven, even if the biggest chef in the world says, Coke tastes better than Pepsi, Pepsi tastes better, it's meaningless. It tastes better to you, whatever tastes better, it's meaningless, even if you're a maven. But you know that a even if it's a maven, it doesn't matter. Secondly, he's not a maven. He has no clue as to what tastes better. Three, he's paid for it. He doesn't even care. He's bribed. Yet, somehow or other, it works. How do I know it works? But they're not paying him millions of dollars for no reason. Obviously, it works. So advertising is a huge, powerful thing. In fact, it's so powerful that look what works in our lives because of advertising. All of your internet is free, all of your your radio is free, all of your television is free, newspapers, magazines are free, because they're powered with the power of advertising, because advertising companies pay. Google Maps, I want to go from point A to point B with my GPS, why do I get it for free, it's wonderful, it's great, it's such a useful technological device that we... It's unbelievable how useful it is, but it's free. I get it for free, you get it for free. You should be paying a dollar each usage. Each time you use it, you should pay a dollar. You use it a hundred times, you should be spending a hundred dollars a day. You want to listen to the radio? You should be paying 25 cents a minute for it. You want to watch television? You should be paying a dollar an hour for it, but you don't. You don't pay a dollar an hour for television. You don't pay 25 cents an hour for radio. You don't pay a dollar on GPS usage or Google. Why? Because the advertisers pay for it. Why are the advertisers paying for it? They're doing tzedakah. Because they make it back. Because because advertising works. Now what is advertising? It's all based on a subliminal message. And not so subliminal, it's pretty overt. It says, if you don't have our product... You're unhappy. That's what they're telling you. If you don't have this, you're not You think you have it all? You don't, because you're missing this. And this is going to make you happy. And if you don't have this, you're unhappy. That's exactly Haman, that's exactly the snake. But our ancestors could never have imagined that we would fall prey to this. That we would be so foolish as to listen to all this stuff you said before if you want to be like Michael isn't that the most ridiculous thing I'm going to drink Coke or Pepsi or Sprite I'm going to be like Michael Jackson you ever go to one of these machines vending machines that have donuts in it they used to in the old days they used to have it like that they can be sitting there for a week but the sign on it says fresh what the guy when he manufactured the machine 30 years ago was the machines are 30 years old 40 years old 50 years old put the word fresh on it what does that mean it's completely meaningless. It's nonsense. Because 50 years later, you're putting in donuts that could be 5 weeks stale. could be 5 years stale. But it says fresh. You believe it. But you know not to believe it. You gotta have it all. I mean, our gadgets all become obsolete when they're still working. Your computer, your smartphones, your other phones. Why is it that whenever Apple comes up with a new product, people are waiting in line for the opening day, you can't wait another day. Isn't that like Homan standing in line, waiting to get into the king's palace? I gotta hang Mordechai now, now? People are waiting in line. They're standing in line, they'll camp out. A new movie comes out. I remember with the Star Wars or the other movies. People were camped out. You know, the night before, the day before. They gotta be first. Hey, it's gonna be around tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day. It'll be around in a week. And the Apple products are gonna be around in a week also. no. I got to have it. That's the hype. You got to have it now, immediately, and I'm not happy until I have it. But I was happy before when I had the iPad 1. I thought it was great. Until iPad 2 came out. My iPad 1 still works the same way. It didn't break. It didn't break. But iPad 2 tells me, oh, you're not happy with iPad 1 because you don't have iPad 2. And when iPad 3 comes out, you're not happy with iPad 2. It's great. I think iPad 2 is wonderful. It's great. No, it's not great, because there's something greater. So your old things become obsolete, not because there's anything wrong with them, but because you've got to have the latest, the newest gadget, technology, and it's, our whole world is run on Los Sachmot. All technology is run on Los Sachmot. And it's on Its Advertising tells you, you've got to have the latest, the newest, the greatest, you've got to have it all, greed, to have it all. And not only that, but the Haman spin on it, the Haman spin on it, or the snake spin on it is, because if you don't have it, you're not going to be happy. If you don't have 99.9% of what you, if you still that 1% missing, you're not going to be happy. You don't have this perfume, or you don't have this clothing, or the styles change. Our our world is insane. It never was like this. That some fashion mogul decides that ties should be thin and not thick, that lapel should be wide or narrow or this or that. And all of a sudden, it's old, obsolete, doesn't look good anymore. i got to have the latest. I mean, our world is run like that. It's the epitome of Losachmod. We've reached the pinnacle of Losachmod. What the Vilna Gain says, that we're living in a generation, the sign of our generation, is Losachmod. We see it. Madison Avenue runs like that. That's advertising. You're never satisfied with what you have need what you don't have. That's called enano the enanoshavli. The one percent that's not full, ninety nine percent full. The one percent that's not full calls the enanoshavli. This is shiduch crisis that everybody talks about. What is the shiduch crisis? A lot of it is based on the fact that our ancestors didn't have so many choices. You met a nice girl at work. This now, but what about this? What about that? And not only that, people create composites in their life. <clears mind. throat> there's, a, there's a little bit of a sense, although not literally, or sometimes there's literally, but I'm talking about even by good people, of Los sach aishas eshes Don't covet your friend's wife. Now I don't mean in the crude way of coveting. I mean that you take a, a bochor who's looking for a shidduch, and he sees someone with this wife, someone else with that wife, this quality, that quality... And all of a sudden he creates in his mind the composite. Oh, I want what this guy has. I want what that guy has. This guy has a rich father-in-law. This guy has a good position. This guy has a good job because of it. This guy has a beautiful wife. This guy has uh, one that waits on him hand and foot. All of a sudden he creates a Cinderella in his mind. A composite of all of them. That's what I want. It's a composite of Los sach mod This quality, that quality, that quality. You know, I heard very interesting from Rav Matasiyah Solomon. Why is there Shalmbais problems? See he says like this, he says very interesting. He says, forget about people that are spoiled. Even if you're not spoiled. Talk about a typical person. Guy, bacher, walks into a, into a deli. And they ask him, okay, so what would you like? I want some meat. Which one? Well, there's pastrami, there's roast beef, there's pastrami that's cured this way or that way, there is turkey, there's smoked turkey, roast turkey, and then there's turkey roll. And there's salami, and there's dried salami. Uh, and then there's half-dried salami and, you know, different stages of that. Which one are you on? Okay, I'll take the pastrami. Okay, do you want it to cut this way, that way? Do you want it sliced thin, thick? How do you want it? Okay, I'll take it sliced thin. Uh, what would you like it on? Well, let's see, there's rye, there's club, there's whole wheat, there's a wrap. I'll take it on club, uh, Thick, thin, what do you, want, what would you like on it? I'll take the ketchup and the mustard. You want it in or you want it on the side? What other condiments do you want? Fine. You have your order. You come out, you go to the cleaner's, Okay, how do you like your shirts? Starch medium, heavy, light, in a box, on a hanger. I think I'll take it this way. That's life. is the way we do it. And we go on and on and on like that. Finally, you get married. Well, the person that you marry is not tailor-made to your specifications, like a piece of pastrami on the club. There's going to be differences. But you're used to your whole life having everything tailor-made exactly to specifications. This is what we're used to. All of a sudden, you have to meet someone and live with someone who's not tailor made to your specification, who's a little bit different. But you gotta put up with them. Hey, I can't do that anymore. My whole life, I've been ordering everything tailor made to my specifications. All of a sudden, I meet someone, I have to get along with someone that's not tailor made because no one is tailor made to your specifications. That's showing bias problems. This all comes from this call zane and the shovelly, the 100%, the desire for the full amount. For the 100%. Okay. Now let's turn the page and go to the flip side of all this. Why do we have this Mida? As, as Jonathan said, this is a little bit depressing, isn't it? You know, how are we going to fight it? But let's take a, a story. Let's take a story of Achav the, the wicked. We're going to run through this quickly because again, we don't have that much time. Achav the wicked one. Ahab, King Ahab of Israel. The downfall of Ahab, the downfall of Achav, was also the mid of Chemda. Now, I'm going to read a part of Melachim with you, but I'm going to first tell you outside the part that comes afterwards. The source of the downfall of Achav was the mid of Chemda. King Ahab had a wife. You all know her name. Jezebel. Jezebel was the wife of Ahab. Now, there was a story an episode where Ahab coveted the vineyard of someone called his of his neighbor. Novos Eli was his name. And he coveted it so much that he became sick of his disciples. He asked him for it. He said, I'll pay you for it. The guy didn't want to give it to him. He says, please, I'll pay you whatever you want. He says, no, far be it from me to take away my ancestral inheritance and legacy and give it away. I can't do that. So he didn't want to do that. So Achav became sick from Chemdo, from Losachmod. He became so sick that he was that he was bed bound and he couldn't eat or drink because of his great desire for it. Well, his wife Jezebel comes up with an idea and says, let's bring about this guy's death and they manufacture a whole thing that, and they kill this Novos Israeli he becomes executed, and then Ahov takes over his vineyard. Elianovi comes and tells him in the name of God, because of what you did, you're going to have, dogs that are going to be licking up your, lapping up your blood. That's where he, that was his, his decree. And therefore, Los Sachmod was the downfall of Ahov. Okay? Just a little bit of background. That was his downfall. Now listen to the following story. Ben Hadad, Melach Aram, I'm going to read through the story quickly. Kovatz, called Chelo, Ben Hadad, who was the king of Aram, gathers together 32 kings with a large army, and he decides and he besieges Samaria, the capital of Ahab's kingdom. He then sends messengers to Ahab and he says to them, Koyomar Ben Hadad." so says Ben Hadad, your gold and silver is mine. No your choicest wives and children, they're mine, I'm taking it all. So meekly Ahab responds, Bayan Yes, he's scared. He's, had, he's seized with 32 kings. He says, Yes, as you say, as you wish, my master, me and all that I have, it's yours to take. The messengers go back, and they weren't happy with that response. They wanted more. They wanted more. So says Ben Hadad. I sent you the first time saying, that your gold, your silver, your wives, your children, they're all mine. However, tomorrow this time, I'm going to send my servants to you, and they're going to search out your home, your palace, in other words, and the, and the homes of all of your servants. Notice the word's underlined, and this is the part that's underlined, the word Mahmad is from the source of chenda. Translate, here would be, and the most precious choices, things in your eyes, yosimu they will take in their hands, they will take it. That's what he sends back to him. So he offered him gold, silver, children, wives, and Ben Haddad says, no, I know you said that's mine. No, no, I'm sending my servant they're going to search out your palace and treasuries, and they're going to take the choicest possessions that you have in your eyes. Yeah, that which is choicest in your eyes, and they're gonna take it. That which you value most. That which you value most, exactly. Now look what happens. So the king of Israel calls together all the elders. And he says, do not see or understand. Uru, take a look. Ki Rozem look how evil he seeks. He sent me the first time. He wanted my wives, my children, he wanted my silver and my gold, and I didn't hold it back from him. But now, he's sending a second time. You know what? Don't listen to him. So, as a result, he calls back the messengers of Ben Haddad and he says to him, tell my master, the king, and say the following. That which your first messenger said, I'll do. But the second thing, I can't do that. What's going on over here? He asked for everything. And he meekly responds, it's all yours, take it all. He's scared. Take it all, it's yours. He sends back a second time and now Achav is outraged. He goes to the elders, calls them together and gathers them together and says, look what he's doing. I offered him everything. And he's coming back with a second request. Can I do that? And he said, oh no, you can't do that. So he sends back to Ben Hadad saying, you know what, I'll go along with your first request. But I will not go along with your second request. As a result, they have a war and Achov wins against these overwhelming odds. And God says, you're going to win. What's going on over here? So there's different shot in, in and pshat as to what's going on over here in this story. The first time he just wanted maybe tribute, the second time he wanted servitude, Uh, there's different shots what's going on what was the first request what's the second request what is he doing the second time more than the first why is he outraged the second and not the first what's what's the difference so some say that the first time he wanted tribute the second time he wanted servants he was going to carry them all away it was more mean spirit Uh, who knows what says Rashi and Rashi um, we have the Meddash over here but it's also Gemara and Sanhedrin we actually learned this Gemara it's Gemara and Sanhedrin Kuf on Amid So the Gwan Sanhedrin, Kuf Beiz Amid But I don't have the Gwan Sanhedrin down here. I do have the Medrash version of it in Shmos, Pasha Shmos. And the Medrash asks, U'mahu kol machmad What is this choicest, most valuable possession in his eyes that they want to take away that was the final story? He says, No, nothing doing. Says the Medrash. He already offered him women. Choicest women, children, gold, silver. These are all precious possessions. What could be? Says the Medrash. That which is the choicest of the choicest. That's the Torah. As it says, That the Torah is more precious than jewelry and gold even When, when Ahav heard this, he says, one second, that's not my possession alone. That's the possession at the national treasury of the Jewish people. I have to assemble the elders and speak to them about it. So he says, shali el This isn't mine alone. This belongs to the elders. It belongs to the Jewish people. Let me consult with them. And they said, that's an outrage. Now this is Ahab, the idol worshiper. Yeah. This is Ahab the idol worshiper who covets and covets and covets and everything else. Nevertheless, he understood that Ben Haddad wanted the most precious possession of all. And even the elders and even the Jewish people that were idol worshippers said, you're not taking our Torah. That's Machmadei Necha. That's the most precious of all possessions of all. That's something which, which we can't part with. Ahab understood that. That's a pellet. I gave you the background that Achav his downfall was Loh Sachmod. But he understood that even with his Loh Sachmod, there's a more precious possession that the word Chemda applies to, and that's the Torah itself. HaNechemodim Mizov Mipozrov. Let's read now just a few more references on this. Eicha, Lamentations. Postic says, Yodoi Poras Tzor kol Machmadeha. The enemy stretched forth his hands on all their most choicest, precious possessions. Kiras ugoim ba mikdashah says Rashi, and again this is based on the medrash in Eicha as well, and it's also Gemara in Yevamos Tezayin on the base. But I'm just quoting the medrash. What's Alkol will call machmadeha sifrei tyros shenamarbem hanechamodim mizav nifnu. This refers to Amon and Moav, that when all the other nations plundered Jerusalem and they wanted gold and silver, they went to plunder the Torahs, to burn them, and that's the word kol mach refers to the Torah. The medrash in Echa, in the psicha of Echa, that's the introduction to Echa, Yeralv, makes this analogy of the word chemda. It says, <laughs> had you have merited and been worthy, <laughs> no man shall covet your land. Referring to when the Jews make pilgrimages to Jerusalem, and they're going to leave their land unoccupied, because they're all going up to Jerusalem. Don't worry, no one will covet your land. No one's going to seek to take it away. <laughs> so if you serve God, you don't have to worry about other people coveting your land. Now that you're unworthy, Shaloz Chitzim, Hariatim Koirim, a twist on the word Chemda, yodai Poras Tor, I'll call Machmadeho, that the Torah is going to be burnt. That's Machmadeho. The Gemara, famous Mishnah, let's go to the bottom reference. It's from Pirke Ovos, Per Gimel Mishnah Yudalad. It says, How precious are the Jewish people? Shenite Lohem Kli Chemda, that Precious utensils were given to them. <speaking in Hebrew> A tremendous um, preciousness was shown to the Jews. <speaking in Hebrew> that they were given these precious utensils. <speaking in Hebrew> because the world was created. As it says, <speaking in Hebrew> The Torah is considered the precious utensils. Famous Gemara in, <speaking> in <Hebrew> the second to the last reference. The story is when Moshe Rabbeinu went up to heaven and the angels were there, so the angels told God, How could you give the Torah to man? They said, "Ma Why is there a human amongst us? God responds, He came to receive the Torah. And the angels in wonderment said, are you going to give away this Chemda, Genuza, this most precious, choicest possession that's been in creation even before the world? From all of these references, what do we see? We see that the choicest of the choicest of Chemda is, is the Torah itself. So much so that even the wicked Achav recognized and understood that the main Chemda is to be the Torah. If that's the case, if that's the case, what does this mean? It means that Hashem placed the midah of chemda in the world, just like He placed the midah of kina in the world. Mm-hmm. In fact, the reference that I made in the very beginning, pasuk um, <speaking> in Koheles, v'chol amal v'koishra meisa ki hikinas ishmererei rishiyus kol amal v'v'kina v'as koishra meisa ki hikinas ishmererei ugamze hevel. It says two things. kolamal and Kaysha Maisa. Good things and bad things come from Kinnah. Kinnah drives the world. Chemda, as we said, drives the world. We have a lot of good things from Chemda. All the technology. I talked about the challenge of our generation as being one of Los Losachmod. And it's all true. That's the downside of Chemda. The upside of it, of course, is look what's being fueled by Chemda. Look what Madison Avenue gives us it gives us free Google, it gives us free television, it gives us free radio, newspapers, magazines, or, I mean, it's arguable whether these things are good, but assuming that they're good, it's all free, GPS, Google, it's all fueled by Madison Avenue for free. And the ultimate cover is told. One second. And all technology is fueled by Chemda, the latest, the newest, the best gadgets, the best of the best, and later and later, newer and newer obsolete, obsolescence. It's all fueled by Chemda. But God gave the meat of Chemda because it's a good thing and a bad thing. When misused, it was the original sin and it's homon. And it leads to downfall. When used properly, you could make lemonade out of the lemon. But ultimately, it's supposed to be for Torah. Torah is the choicest of the choicest. And what does that mean? That means a person should utilize... The same mida, just like we find Chazal tell us, even Kinna, which seemingly is even the worst mida, jealousy, envy, even there Chazal say, Kinna sofen, tarba chachma. The jealousy among sages, envy among sages, increases wisdom. It increases knowledge. Each one wants to outdo the other. Competition. Competition among sages is fueled by envy. Envy fuels competition and competition of sages, that increases knowledge, it increases wisdom. Likewise, we could utilize the midah of Chemda, the exact same way, for knowledge and for Torah. And it says in Chazal, we're all familiar with this one, Anan Chazal in Kohelis, Ohev kesef lo yisba kesef. he who loves money, silver, will never be satiated, will never be satisfied by money and silver. And Chazal Make a spin on that. Ohev mitzvah lo yisba mitzvah. He who loves mitzvahs will never be satiated. It's The same midah, the same midah that goes into ohev kesef lo yisba kesef. The same midah that fuels this greed, this desire, this endless search for better and more and more and more and never enough, never satiated, never enough that drives people ohev kesef lo yisba kesef. That's the same drive of ohev mitzvah lo yisba mitzvah. Chazal say on the Pesach Mishle, Chacham Leiv, Yikach Mitzvahs, refers to Moshe. that when everybody else was trying to get gold and silver and plunder Egypt, he was trying to do another mitzvah. He was taking the bones of Yosef with him. Chacham Leiv, Yikach Mitzvahs, takes mitzvahs instead of gold and silver. He utilized this drive, this competitive drive, for good things. Because competition is a good thing. Chemda, the desire for it all, is a good thing. Now, let's make a slight analogy here. A person knows he'll never have all his material needs. He knows it. He'll never have it all. Yet, he's driven to have it all. It's a drive to have it all. But you'll know you'll never have it all. Everybody knows that. But you still are driven to have it all in spite of the fact that you'll never have it all. You know it, but you're still driven. Why not with Torah? If it's true in material and in the physical, why not with Torah? Why can't a person say, I want 100% of the Torah, even though I'll never have it all. And most people say, I'll never have it. It's good enough for the little I have. People are very content. When it comes to the material, they're never content. When it comes to the spiritual and the Torah, Listen, I know I'll never make it all. I'm happy with what I have. It's good enough. No, it's not good enough. A person should want to know all of Shas, all of the Pisken. He should want to become a Lomden, Lomdes, he should want to become a Baki, Bikius. He should want to know Halacha. He should want to know Hag- Agoda. He should want to know all of Tanakh. He should want to know Drush, Musr, the all of the knowledge that's in the Torah, Hashkafa, philosophy, depth, breadth, everything. You can't have it all. You know you're not going to make it all. Why are you all of a sudden happy? I'm a Lamdin, that's good enough. I'm a Baki, that's good enough. I know Halacha, or I don't know, or I know Tanakh or I know Gemara, or I like Musr, or Drush, or Hashkafah. People are satisfied. They're very content with one or two aspects and facets of the Torah. They're not driven for it all. But God gave us an insatiable drive because the Torah is infinite. And you're supposed to use it to be driven to achieve that spiritual infinity. Not the physical. Because you can't utilize it all anyway. But the spiritual, the more you gain, the more you utilize. The infinite drive for the spiritual is beneficial. And it's good for you. Because whatever you acquire is yours. You keep it, it's yours forever. So it's great to have an insatiable drive for Torah and mitzvahs and spiritual things. Oh, if lo yisba makes no sense. To be driven for more and more money makes no sense. But you can't, what are you going to do with it all? yeah you can't take it with you you can't even utilize it all here yet we're driven and everybody's doing it so God gave us this drive of Chemda to be utilized for the spiritual growth which is endless and infinite it's part of a quest and there's no reason why you shouldn't be driven because whatever you gain you will achieve you can use you could utilize and certainly in Olam Haba certainly in the next world certainly after Triasa HaMashiach HaMaisen, or in Gan it's all there utilize Chemda for Torah and mitzvahs and spirituality. But losachmot is the challenge of our generation. What we should really do is transform it, to convert it from one to the other, to utilize it from one to the other, not for the physical and the material, but for the spiritual. That's the battle against Amalek, to utilize it properly, and it's an eternal struggle. But now, because you mentioned that, and I said I'm going to get to it in the next two minutes, I'm just going to take about that. This battle of Losachmod is connected with another battle that we have eternally against Amalek that we've spoken of in the past, and some of you may be familiar with that. The Mida of Chemda is tied to the Midah of Bitochem. Why is that? Because of what the analogy from the Evan Ezra that you referred to earlier. The, the country bumpkin that knows he can never have the princess. It's just beyond his, his, his grasp, it's beyond his realms, it's beyond his sphere. He doesn't covet it. If a person would have the mida of Bitochen and know that which is meant for you is for you, and what 's not meant for you is not meant for you, in other words, going back to the original Gemara that we said of that you covered that which isn 't yours, if you have Bitochen you don 't cover that that 's the point of the Ebenenezzar and the Ebenenezzar gives the example of the of the princess and the and the peasant and that's the way, if we view all of life like that, in others, if we have Bitochen, then we don't have this problem. Remember, Moshe Shefeinstein elaborates on that we've talked about it in the past. We talk about the Nitziv, in the end of Parshas B'Shalach, the war of Amolek, and, and the end of Kiseitze. The battle against Amalek is a battle of Bitochen. By the way, in the battle of Amalek, I just want to point out about, uh, I just have to make mention of this because it's just something which you'll now appreciate. In Kiseitze, it says, Amalek attacks us. What does he attack us? So it says that he cut off the brismilas. But if you take a look at the words, it says, it says, <laughs> which is the tale, <laughs> the word is Nechesholim. If you look at the word nechesholam, which is those that are weak, the word nochosh is there. Hmm. Nochosh and milah. The word milah from this mila and nochosh. I told you you might want to see. Page 562, uh, four lines from the bottom, last word of the line, five lines from the bottom. (laughs) Amolek goes back to the original Nochosh. So the Nitziv in Parshets Kiseitze and Parshets bishalach elaborates on the concept behind Amolek as it relates to this idea. And we all know, we mentioned in the past, in terms of the battle of Amalek, that it's about the matter of bitochim. Amalek, the Gamachi of Amalek, is suffik, doubt. Doubt. That's the Gamachi of Amalek, doubt. And we know that it says also, He met you, he bumped into you on the way. Bumping here means mikra, chance. Chance occurrences. Amalek is about denial of hashgacha, of hashgacha protes. It's about denial of God's providence. Is the antithesis of Bitochen, the opposite of Hashgorcha Protest. Everything is chance, everything is chance occurrence, everything is accident. Nothing is divine providence, God's divine providence. Bitochen, faith, faith Nashem. Amalek is the battle of faith against doubt. Amalek represents doubt, denial of divine providence. Mikra, korcha Baderach. And he succeeds with the Acharecha, with those that are weak. And our battle is Bitochen and belief in divine providence. So the two ideas are very related. The idea of Losachmod, Chemdo, and the idea of Bitochen are very related, as the Evan Ezra says. Because with Bitochen, you don't have Losachmod. Losachmod only enters into people if you lack Bitochen. If you have Bitochen, then you don't have Losachmod. So in the answer to your original question, the way to fight losachmod is by working on our Bitochem, on our faith in God. The more faith, the more Bitochem, the more belief in Hashgokha Pratis, the less losachmod Sachmod that there is. There's a relation there. Again, there's other aspects of Los Sachmod, some of so it could be a physical covenant, but the Nitzit explains in Parashat Kiseitze and Parashat B'Shalach that it has to do more with matters of faith than matters of physical desire and coveting. In any case, these are the two points. Bitochem, that's something which we're not elaborating on now, we've talked about it in the past, but Los Sachmod. So, this vort of the Bali Musr, that Rav Aaron Cutler says, is an old vort, but I gave it a new spin, to show, based on the Vilna going, that that's our challenge, that's our battle. It's the last and final battle, but that's the Milchom Al Hashanah Molech Midor Dor. That's the intergenerational struggle, the battle of all generations, because it goes back to Bereshis. Bereshis, Bereshis, B'Shvili Yisrael Shinnike and racious Goyim Amolek. Amolek is also racious. It goes back to the original Reshis with the Nohosh HaKadmoni, which was the external embodiment of evil that then becomes internalized, but again comes back to us in the guise of Amolek and Homon that embodies this Los Vosachmod. That's the struggle, that's the battle, of our generation. And it's an eternal battle. And the way we win it is by battling it, both by fighting Lossachmod and with Bitochen. And that's Mechia Samolik.